Hi, this is Adam Carolla. I want to thank you for supporting this podcast on the Corolla Digital Network. Everyone here at Corolla Digital is very proud of the shows that we put out every week and are excited about the future of our network. However, a patent troll is threatening that future by suing us. We need to fight back and beat the troll down. If we go down, all the other shows on the other networks you've grown to love are going to go down next. Visit fundanything.com forward slash patent troll to donate and find out other ways that you can help beat the patent trolls. Thank you and mahalo. This is Corolla Digital. Hey, you guys, it's me, Allison. I just want to say thank you so much for listening. If you like what you're hearing, which, let's face it, you do, tell a friend. You can listen to us all sorts of places. A couple of them would be iTunes or AllisonRosen.com. Hello, my little raspberry and blueberry almond cakes. It's me, Allison. Welcome to another exciting episode of Allison Rosen is Your New Best Friend. Before the show with Mike Catherwood officially starts, we have time for a few important messages and a few words. Messages and words. Everyone knows that when wearing a button-down shirt untucked, the length of the shirt is critical. Unfortunately, everyone also knows that finding a shirt that looks good untucked has been downright impossible. Untuckit.com has solved this problem. Made exclusively for men who wear their shirts untucked, or women who want to wear men's shirts. It happens. Untucked shirts are designed to follow the perfect length no matter what your size. So take it from hockey star and brand ambassador Brad Richards and visit untuckit.com and improve your wardrobe today. This Father's Day, give your dad the gift of style. The right shirt can make all the difference. Go to untuckit.com and type in the promo code best friend to receive 10% off of your purchase. Again, that's promo code best friend to get 10% off. Also, I want to tell you guys, tomorrow starts today. It doesn't start the day after tomorrow. It starts today. When 2014 started, I'm sure all of you made promises to yourself. You wanted to fall in love, maybe meet the right guy. However, with each day that passed, you told yourself, I'll do it tomorrow. Well, tomorrow starts today. Call 1-800-PREDICT or go to CaliforniaPsychics.com to talk to your personal advisor. We're all curious about finding our soulmate, Mr. Right, and clearing out any doubts about that big decision. California Psychics will provide you the direction to give you that needed confidence. New customers can try it for only a dollar a minute. Why wait for tomorrow? When tomorrow starts today, call 1-800-PREDICT for your personal advisor or visit CaliforniaPsychics.com. Okay. Hello, Gary. Hey, Allison. You're wearing sunglasses indoors. I can't find my regular glasses and I'm about to have to read an iTunes comment. I know. It's it's, it's because you have prescription sunglasses, but it's also because you're cool. Yeah, there you go. All right. I don't know how cool I am, but the glasses help. They do. Yeah. All right. iTunes comment of the week. Allison wants your iTunes comments. Allison wants them. Yes, she does. Please leave her some iTunes comments and don't forget to click five stars. All right, this week's iTunes comment of the week comes to us from Not Quite Noah, and it says, I have a case of the Mondays, and I like it. Why do people listen to podcasts? To be entertained, to learn something, to feel like a part of a community, a fellowship, a circle of trust, to hear fascinating period talk? Well, if you answered yes to any of those questions, except the first one, you weirdo, this is a podcast for you. It's kind of like a cult without the human sacrifices, family ostracism, or membership dues. What I mean is that you'll find yourself participating in the rituals of Allison's wonderful world of best friendness. You'll learn what a JMO is, you'll get to be intimately equated with the topic sombrero, and you'll have just the right ringtone when your boss makes a snarky comment to you. What you'll also get is to listen in on the best interviewer in podcasting, nay, Realm of the Universe. 
I have a theory that she somehow hypnotizes her guests and gets them to reveal their innermost secrets without even realizing it. And you, the listener, reaped all the reward of her artful talent for conversational inquiry. And that's just the Monday show. On Thursdays, it's like, like, well, words could never do that show justice. Suffice it to say, you'll get to know about a guy named Chris with a penchant for street fights and dressing up as a deer, another guy named <laughs> Gary with a super sexy voice, another dude named Matt who travels tummy towels and has flown in a helicopter, and a gal named Jenna who is the most awesome, funny, sorry not sorry, Mormon comedian this world has ever known. Aside from that, the show is okay or whatever. Thank you so much for your delightful iTunes comment of the week. If you would like your comment to be an iTunes comment of the week, just leave us a nice comment. Click five stars. It's our favorite number. Uh, and then maybe we'll read your comment on the show. Maybe Gary will even bust out with his super sexy voice, which he hasn't – not that his regular voice isn't sexy, but his specific sexy voice. It's a special voice that occasionally makes an appearance on a Thursday show. And by the way, I've yeah. been getting in – say it again? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I've been getting inundated with tweets about the way Dr. Drew says helicopter or helicopter. Yeah. And a lot of people – I haven't gotten as many tweets about Matt. Matt drops a real good helicopter on the most recent episode of Ace on the House. Like a perfect one. Do they say it the same way, Drew and Matt, or does Drew have his own incorrect take on it? No. They, they both say helicopter. Um, Drew's – Is it a regional thing? Drew grew up in Pasadena and Matt grew up in the Valley. Yeah. So I don't know. No, I don't think Inland so. Inland California? Maybe. I mean, no, we I don't grew up, think so. We grew up in Southern California. I feel like we'd have it too. You're right. I don't know. Maybe it's a tiny, tiny region that only affects the two of them. Um, I have more things to tell you. But one of them is that Mike Catherwood, who is the guest on the episode you're about, you're going to hear in just just a, another couple shakes of a lamb's tail. You don't hear that that often. And I think it's good that you don't. Um on Loveline, he did Loveline, the show that he's on, after this, and he said uh, some very nice things about me and about the experience of being on this show on Loveline, which uh, made me feel really good. So thank you so much, Mike. What, what he said was it was one of his favorite um, experiences being interviewed or one of his favorite broadcasting experiences. Uh, and that um, was awesome. And I felt the same. I'm kind of in love with him. You know what else I'm in love with? Making my dog Oliver happy. And the way that I've been doing that lately is scratching him and giving him little belly rubs, but also uh, giving him BarkBox. So BarkBox, I've talked about it before, uh, they ship a monthly box to you of four to six full-size products. It's toys, gadgets, treats, stuff like that. Uh, And in the current BarkBox that I just received, it has two toys, a carrot and a ball. They both squeak. Uh, It's not just any old. It's like a plush, fuzzy carrot. It's not an actual carrot that squeaks. That would be weird. Uh, And then two treats. And then this thing that is like a bully stick it's like a cross between a rawhide and a bully stick, but it's not actually rawhide, which is good because Oliver can't really handle rawhide. So I gave him this, though, and he it is like crack for a dog. He friggin' loves it. He, well, he's, he finished it already. Uh, but anyway, it's I took a picture of it with him, him with it, and posted it on Instagram. And someone said, is that a bully stick? You know what they're made out of, right? In case you don't know, a bully stick is penis. However... It's referred to as pizzle. Like, oh, it's made out of bull pizzle. You're not fooling anyone. But here's the thing. This specific one in the bark box is not there's it's completely pizzle free because I'm sensitive to touching bull pizzle and I would have known. It's made out of beef bladder, 
which is also, you know, not my favorite item. However, at least it's not pizzle. But, you know, plenty of people give their dogs that and they like it. But anyway, that that all of that was beside the point. The point was... I've pretty much never seen Oliver go as nuts for a treat chew thing as he went for this. It was uh, incredible. And BarkBox has the dogs, the employees' dogs. And I feel like there's probably other dogs that hang out there in the whole BarkBox office. They test and play with all the stuff. And that's how BarkBox chooses like what to include in the boxes they send you. So they know they're sending you dog crack. And BarkBox supports American small businesses by uh, including products made in the USA. And uh, they're dedicated to supporting health and happiness of all dogs. Last year, they donated over 150,000 to shelters, rescues, and animal welfare organizations. And their goal in 2014 is to donate a million. Uh, 10% of all proceeds go back to their growing network of dog-loving partners. So you guys visit BarkBox.com slash best friend to save 20% off your first subscription. Again, that's BarkBox.com slash best friend to save 20% off your first subscription. I'm telling you, your dogs will go nuts for the products. And it's just fun to get something every month. Okay, and then also, I want to tell you guys, swimsuit season is coming up. Plus, you pretty much just want to look good year-round, don't you? I think you do. You need the No-No Pro. No-No Pro uh, is a portable hair removal device about the size of a cell phone. You just glide it along your skin. It is super easy. It removes the hair. The No-No Pro is up to 35% stronger than before, and it has this very cool clear panel before the panel that I'm referring to used to be opaque. So it was mysterious. But now it's clear and translucent. Those mean the same thing. So as you are removing the hair, you can watch it as it's working. Um, So it's like a little show right there on your skin. And uh, I think I mentioned this before. I'm a big wimp. I was afraid to use it the first time. They said that it's painless, but I thought, how painless can it really be since it's removing the hair? And in my experience, hair removal can be painful. However, it didn't hurt at all. I didn't even feel it. Um, and it is safe for men and women. That's actually part of the reason they came up with No No Pro is because more and more men are using the, their uh, you know, girlfriend or wives' no-nos. So they're like... Let's get you a no-no for you. However, no-no pro is is for men and women. Um, And you can use it on any hair color, any skin type. And uh, the more you use it, the less you need to use it. So that is why I love no-no pro. Well, there's all these reasons I love it. But I think the main one is that it doesn't hurt. And it's like unlike laser hair removal where you're spending a ton of money and it's inconvenient or waxing, which is also inconvenient and messy, uh, and you have to go somewhere to do it. This you can just do. You can do it while you watch TV. That's what I would recommend. Or do it while you listen to this podcast. What am I saying? That's what I would recommend. Okay. So there's a special offer for you guys. And to take advantage of this offer which I'll tell you about in a second. Go to nonoprobestfriend.com or call 800-336-1665. Again, that's nonoprobestfriend.com or call 800-336-1665. Here's what you get. You get the Nono Pro device. You get an exclusive facial kit. You get a travel case. It's very snazzy. If you order online, you get a free gift card and the entire purchase is backed by Nono's triple guarantee. If you're not 100% satisfied, they'll refund the purchase price, refund the shipping, and they'll even pay to sh- for you to ship it back to them. You don't risk a penny to try Nono. Call you don't risk a penny to try no-no today. Call for details. Terms and conditions may apply. Okay. Here is the episode with Mike Catherwood. I hope you love it. He's awesome. I love you guys. Goodbye. 
Everyone, hi, hello. It is me, Allison Rosen, and I am sitting here with Mike Catherwood, co-host of Love Line, also known as Psycho Mike, yeah. whom I've been wanting to have on the show for a really long time, but it, it finally worked out for tonight. And I stopped I, pretending like I was busy. Thank to, you yeah. for dropping the pretense. Yeah, and you finally decided that six weeks after your baby is born, you have the time. Yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too tied down right now. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I'm glad, I'm glad to finally meet you, and I feel like we're fast friends. I mean, I feel that way. I don't know how you feel. I definitely do. I feel like we're pretty much lovers. Right, we're fast lovers. Yeah, without making love, but right, with we're platonic else. lovers. Yeah. But the feelings are definitely more than platonic. Yeah. Like we're like just friends, but more than friends, but just friends. Yeah, no, we're like we're like the friends. That always would have the weird sexual tension, but that we were always in relationships. You know, there was never right, a time when we could to, just make it happen. Yeah, two yeah. ships passing. Have you ever had one of those friendships where there's all this sexual sexual tension, and then finally have sex with a person, and yeah. it's like not that good? No, it oh. was it was the opposite. Really? Uh, I was married before my current wife, and um, this girl who worked with me at K Rock, um, she was my she was my phone screener for like a long time, three four years. And she was beautiful, and and I loved talking to her. And we spent a lot of time, just her and I together, talking in the studio. Um, and, but I was always married, and I never even contemplated doing anything about it because, like I said, I was married, and and she was going about her life. And then my wife uh, left me, and um, it just kind of happened. Like we we started hanging out more, and she would come over, and eventually we ended up sleeping together, and like we just. Never talk to each other for like six months after. Like it was really weird and awkward. And then uh, she got really mad at me. And pretty much I haven't really spoken to her since. She terrible. got really mad at you because you slept with her and then you didn't talk to her anymore? No. She got mad at me because she slept with me and then I didn't understand that she was – Had feelings for you. Yeah. Like she didn't understand. And, I, and I'm not – gonna say that i didn't have feelings for her either i just have no way of expressing them i'm terrible at that I'm, I'm terrible with girls and with women i should say and um and i just didn't know how to 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 express that and i thought that she was really regretting doing that and that was her way of distancing herself and so i just interpreted that and little did i know that it was her way of saying, I need you to now pursue me and make yeah, it seem like... Yeah, she didn't like, want to be vulnerable. Right. And uh, and we both kind of made the wrong mistake. And then she was really mad. Like She's like, I really was head over heels for you and you didn't follow the... I'm like, oh, shit. So that that's how that happened. So I won't do that anymore. Well, so then what happened, though? Clearly nothing. But why? If you had feelings for her. Because like after... When I tried to get in touch with her again... And, does, so does she? You guys don't work together anymore. Or you no, do? no, no, no. She she was like, where she started working there as like a straight gig because she was going to college, and I was, you know, it wasn't so gross because I was in my late twenties then. This is a while back, mm-hmm. um, and and she she was like a genius. She went on to go do other things. She has like a a real job and 
she went she transferred from UCLA where she was working when she went to K-Rock. She went and did her further studies at MIT. Like she was really Oh wow. Yeah, she was one of those chicks. And I also think that that made her a bit socially awkward because she had this insane IQ. And she'd be the first to admit that. So I, I, I'm not trying to paint a bad picture. Um, and, and you you combine the two. I'm ter- I'm very socially awkward in, in in a weird way. And I know that people say, well, you host a talk show. How can that be? Well, there, there, as you know, there's a tremendous difference between being behind a microphone and then actually making – you know, actual connections in real life. Yeah, behind a microphone, it's all there's. You're in such a a neat little box, and your role is very straightforward. And all those question marks and things you have to negotiate in an actual exchange with a human being aren't. You don't have to deal with them, right? And and as the host of a show, you get the ability to call someone on their inability to make conversation. Yeah. You I, I I mean that's my job is as opposed to having a great conversation with someone, it's having a great conversation for other people to listen to. Mm-hmm. And if the other end isn't delivering and I'm confident that I am, I can call them on it. Like I can't do that in real life. I can't my wife can't introduce me to someone at a dinner party and I'd be like, "Dude, you're fucking boring. You got to better <laughs> pick it up." You know? So I mean it's a strange weird power trip to have the microphone. But uh, I, I'm very socially awkward, and I never felt comfortable, especially with women that I was interested in. Um, and so you take the two of us, and it was just a disaster. And then, and we've we've made up in a sense that we're now friendly. And I've expressed to her that I do care about her, and I want her to be happy. And she understood that, but she said it's better if we just don't really have anything to do with each other. So. Well, because I imagine oh, now I'm speaking for her, and I don't really know anything about her. Other than she's female, but I imagine, and she's smart. Um, anything short of you saying, "Yeah, I like you, and I want to be with you," was would not what she wanted to hear, right? Yeah, and by the time that we got it all out on the table, she had already moved on. Oh, okay. I I, I hadn't. I mean, I was still like in my weird bachelor phase, and then she and then she expressed something to me later on, which other girls have. Echoed that like a sentiment that other girls have repeated that really bugged me, and that <laughs> they were intimidated by my ex-wife. And I said, "Well, how the, how is that possible? She's not even around. She left me, so it's not as if there's anything any remnants to be intimidating." And they're like, "No, well, she was like blonde and tall with big boobs and a size zero, and it's like I never felt I could compete with that." And I was mm-hmm. like, "What? Well, but she's not even here, nor am I bringing her around. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't something that I actively." Imposed on them. It was just this residual that my wife and my ex-wife had left behind. And and, uh, and that bugged me. That really bugged me because I'm more than okay to kind of wallow in the stuff that I screw up on my own. But to have someone else kind of like put this weird blanket over me. That, right. Yeah. This, this lasting cock block. Yeah. Can exactly. you understand why they felt that way though? From a guy's point of view, no. The only thing I could compare it to is if like – Someone, the guy before me that a girl had dated was like a massively successful person. Like, that, like that's somebody, your version of right, size zero. It, 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 yeah, if the guy was like a philanthropist and a billionaire and a scholar and hands, you know, mm-hmm. I could see that being like, well, what does she want with me? And um, is is she going to be comparing us? Right. Because right. I think that's the fear is. Okay, like when I found out that my husband at the time we were, I can't remember if we were engaged yet or not. Um, before me, he was he had a relationship that lasted seven years, you know, quite a bit before me. 
But I had never been in a relationship for that long. Mm. So I think I was already a little bit intimidated by that because just the idea that you can be with someone for seven years and then that doesn't work out is daunting for someone who hasn't been in a relationship for that long. Uh, Well, you feel like how many serious um, experiences and feelings did this – did this man that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with share with this other person? You know, right. this isn't this isn't some tawdry kind of throwaway thing, you know? right? And for how long did they each think they had found the one? Right, that's weird. See, that's so patently female because guys don't give a shit. <laughs> guys yeah. think about man. I wonder how what guy she's been with before had a huge cock and wrecked her. <laughs> like you, you feel, like feelings are out of the question. You're just like man. I hope this guy before me didn't do anal. I hope this guy didn't have a bigger dick than me. I hope he didn't have like great abs. Right. You know, well, they, like it's all physical. Guys, they, that's all they care about, you know? Yeah. Well, so speaking of physical, um, one night we were walking out of somewhere and I saw this woman walk by and I shouldn't have done this. It's like I kind of knew what I was doing. And I said to him, that's what I, that's what I imagine she looked like. Mm-hmm. Like she looks like what I imagine your ex looks like to me. Because I think I've seen a picture once, but, like, I've never really seen a clear picture of her. And she has no online presence, which is weird. Uh, and then he's like, oh, no, um, different different body shape, which is already, like, opening it up, you know? Um, and I'm like, oh. And then he said, yeah, she was hip she, hippier or something. But I knew somehow, because I'm better at this game than he is, I'm like, oh, did she have a big chest? It's like, I knew that big hips, that's code for gigantic chest. Yeah. And then, I mean, long story short, yes, she was... She was busty. Super busty. Okay. Like, like, no, you don't understand. It was hard for her. She was uncomfortable and she couldn't run. <laughs> that yeah. kind of yeah. of, uh, of thing that pe- women with big chests say. Um, and I was very confident in our relationship. And yet, just knowing, all of a sudden, I just started thinking i started thinking about it i started doing this math and i started thinking well when he hugs me is he feeling the difference is he noticing it all the time is he into that that and so anyway i guess what i'm saying is i can imagine those women imagining being with you and thinking that you you have just so recently been with your ex you're they're gonna be fat to you or they're gonna be this they're gonna be not enough this or (laughs) but that's it's weird in that i can see that from from the eye of the beholder you say how can i compare but guys aren't like that, and I and I don't. I, I hate to speak for all of men, but it's if a guy's held up physically on a girl that he was with in the past, which does happen. I'm mm-hmm. not going to sit here and lie. Like you definitely keep certain girls in your spank bank, and then other <laughs> girls don't compare and blah blah blah. But if if you're in that situation, then you don't date someone. You don't. It doesn't last. It's not serious. If you're in a serious committed right. relationship with a guy, and 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 you're at, you have a great sex life, and and he's you know things are working. Just know that and then he's moved on from her physically, regardless of what she looked like. It, it, like it's it's this strange thing that you have this weird kind of restrictor plate that when you're with a really attractive woman, especially, and it's really attractive to you. I mean, there's every guy has his zone. If you're with a girl that's in that zone, but the relationship doesn't work out, you definitely ha- are like holding on to that. But once you pass through that with with another relationship. With a girl who it doesn't matter what she looks like, you you find that relationship, that connection, you completely forget. You like you totally forget about that kind of stuff. So what happened with you and your ex-wife? She just got bored with me. You know, I, not to. I'm I'm a guy who doesn't drink, doesn't do any drugs. Goes to, at the time was on a morning radio show that goes live at five a.m. 
What went, show is that? Kevin and Bean. Okay. The Kevin and Bean show here in L.A. Um, and and I went to bed at eight and watched Jeopardy and I was very I'm very boring and I was and I was hyper hyper focused on and I know it sounds so dumb because I'm you know at the time especially I wrote fart jokes for a living with <laughs> with Ralph Garman but but your work ethic <laughs> right I just I I was so driven to make something of myself professionally. That I just really didn't have anything to offer in a relationship, and she got she got bored, she, and I understandably so. Um, I tried to like talk to her about stuff and life, and but she wanted to go to clubs and go to dinner and be romanced and have a fun, exciting life. And she was really young at the time, you know, early mid to mid twenties during our entire marriage, and she just couldn't she just couldn't take it anymore. She didn't, and she left. So were you surprised? Yeah. Well, I it was like one of those it was like a sitcom moment because I left um, a birthday in Vegas early to come back and spend a long the re, the remainder of a long weekend with her. Um, and when I got back, her and her other female friends were there, and there was like a mo- like a U-Haul, and they were oh, leaving. Wow. Yeah, and she's like, "What are you doing here?" I was like, "Uh, I was coming home to surprise you." Oh, yeah, it was weak. But she so had like she this had planned to. Get her shit out of there before you even had a chance to – like there was no let's talk about it. No, like she had first and last month rent already paid on another apartment and the whole thing. And initially it definitely caught me completely by surprise. And then the more – yeah, like she wrote me this big long letter and the whole thing. Um, the more I looked at it, of course, yeah, the writing was on the wall. I just – it was one of those things like where you automatically assume there was no infidelity. There was no yelling. I never raised my voice. I mean, and nor did she. And, and we never had any big major arguments. And I, you know, there wasn't physical violence or any of that stuff. So there wasn't anything major to kind of catch your attention. But was I completely emotionally unavailable? Of course. And and uh, yeah, the writing was definitely on the wall. Upon further inspection, in in the, the long retrospect, yeah, I needed time to kind of grow up a little bit and look back on it. And also get a life where I had like some time on my hands. You know, at the time I was doing working for E Television. What were you doing for E? Uh, there's a show. They used to have a show called The Daily Ten mm-hmm. um, before I got it canceled. Um, and then, <laughs> and then uh, I was on the Kevin and Bean show, and I was hosting Loveline. And so I was hosting Loveline from ten to midnight live. Would try to catch a quick nap to wake up at like three thirty four to go to Kevin and Bean. Do Kevin and Bean till about eleven in the afternoon, and then go film at E from like noon to five p.m. I was just toast. And then, like, my my life lightened up a little bit, and I had a little time to be a normal person. I saw, sat and thought about it, and I was, yeah, I was I was not an egregious prick, but I certainly <laughs> wasn't a good husband. You know, I was just unavailable. Okay. Here's a real um, far-reaching and general question about mm-hmm. men and women, and then I want to ask a specific question about that crazy work schedule. But you said that you were emotionally unavailable mm-hmm. with her. Do you think being emotionally unavailable <clears throat> is the default setting for guys? Yeah. Or you do? Yeah. I was going to say, or do you think that is a sign that the relationship is not working for them at the time? No. I was emotionally unavailable to my wife, current wife, who's without question, to, not to sound Hallmark Channel, without question my soulmate. I mean, I, she makes me want to be a better person. I love her. I miss not being with her every moment I'm not with her. Um, but I was the same exact way with her in the beginning of our relationship as I was with my my uh, ex-wife. And it's just that she kind of saw through it and really helped, you know, me find a new therapist and um, give me my space and allow me to kind of open up on my own, blah, blah, blah. 
I, I do think that for the most part, American guys especially, they're not encouraged to open up about their feelings. And it's not only are they not encouraged to talk about their vulnerabilities, but it's almost a weakness to interpret and identify them. You know, it's the, it's the idea yeah. of like, well, I might be depressed. Identifying that despondency is looked at as weakness. So you just kind of erase the whole thing. You're just supposed to be stoic and yeah. just do it. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Shut your mouth, go to work. And uh, yeah, if, if you get a boo-boo, put a Band-Aid on it and go back. Is depression something you deal with? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Much more so than anxiety. I, I know my other people in my life uh, deal with a lot of anxiety. I, I don't deal with any anxiety, but I'm massively depressed. You know, like, clinically so. I take, you know, antidepressants, whole deal, so. When did you know, start realizing you were depressed? Um, probably like middle school um, where I, I, I just – yeah, where I, I definitely thought I'm probably different than the other kids because it's so easy to be like a cheerful I'm – a, I'm like a happy person essentially mm-hmm. as far as my personality, as far as my behavior. But there was always such an underlying tone of, of, of kind of self-hatred and self-effacing thoughts and stuff like that. And uh, never really feeling like I would amount to anything or be valuable in any way. And so once I got on the radio and people actually – when I put my mind to something and people actually gave me accolade for it, that's what made me so like hyper-focused. Like I was saying earlier, um, it seemed dumb and it was dumb. I I was talking about Paris Hilton and and writing you know fart jokes with – like I said, with Ralph. But I finally found something where people were like, oh – that was really awesome what you did. That was really funny. And I, I just – I became possessed. I was a man possessed. All I, I could can, think about was like – I can totally relate to that yeah. because, I mean, some, some of my stuff – like I did a lot of going on TV talking about entertainment stuff. And it, it's like I, at times I would look at it and be like, wait a minute. I was, I was a professional journalist for years right. and now I'm talking – I'm doing this ridiculous stuff. And yet it doesn't feel ridiculous because it's like – you're doing something that is, first of all, it's hard to be good on TV. It's hard to be yeah. good on air. And, yeah, the affirmation you're getting just reaches into that broken place. There's, not, there's like nothing like it. When people call up, they'll be like, man, you make my day at work so much better because of A, B, and C. You know, I, I listen to the uh, Corolla podcast every day, and Allison, you're so uh, – but just two emails like that. I mean, it's like rocket fuel. Am I, mm-hmm. am I right? you just yeah. like, I just want to go and do more and make people yeah, happy. Yeah, yeah. And I and, – It's know, addictive. I, it was even more so um, to me, I think, because you had already achieved a lot. I mean, you were, you were probably a good student and you were a hardworking student and you probably had um, other things, uh, you know, extracurricular activities growing up and things that you had been – an achiever at like I was a perpetual. I never had anything where I was like, "Well, I'm going to go on and do A, B, and C." I was b- barely graduated high school. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, Carole, Adam and I have talked about this when he comes in on Loveline. I, I mean, I just never assumed I would be like the other kids. There was the successful kids, and then there was the four or five kids in the back of the class where everyone just knew they're like, "Well, you'll go on and." And hopefully I'll get like a union construction gig. In my wildest dreams, maybe I'll be like a fireman or something. Um, but it never did I imagine I would do anything where I could put my mind to it, go to college, get a degree, get a good job, go on uh, job interviews, anything like that. I thought I would hopefully skate by and then kind of pick up the pieces and, and go with the flow as I as I went. So when I was 23 and and like completely – 
backed my way into a career in radio on the radio show I grew up listening to. How did you do it? I got I when I uh, I I thought I was going to be a musician for my life. When I was a little kid, I I was like, I'm going to be Dave Grohl. I mean, I I thought that. And then what did you play? I I played guitar and vocals and ba- I did play anything. I first started playing bass because. I, Here's advice to all you kids out there that want to be in a band, which I know is no one anymore because all kids just want to be DJs now. <laughs> um, if you want to get in a band, learn how to play bass and play it well because nobody plays bass. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. There was a there was a, a punk band uh, in L.A. at the time that was relatively successful in that genre. It was called GFP, Glutton for Punishment, and they needed a bass player. So I learned how to play bass. I had already started trying to play guitar. And I got in that band, and we toured and did the whole thing, and that was the worst thing that could happen to me because I got a little taste of, like, somewhat of success. And my already existing drug and alcohol habit just skyrocketed. It just and went it started – how old were you when you started doing drugs and alcohol? I started drinking pretty consistently when I was about 15 or 16, like mm-hmm. the summer before sophomore year. That's when I started really consistently getting drunk. And then I started – Daily drinking, probably about seventeen or eighteen, and 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 then for, through that, um, harder drugs came. And then by the time I moved to the East Coast, which was two thousand, so I was twenty, I had already tried to get sober just off of drinking and smoking weed. Went to rehab, the whole thing, because I was drinking for breakfast. I was like a real drinker. Do, okay, back up. Did you grow up in L.A.? Uh huh. Yeah, Pasadena area. Okay, and then you were using substances and drinking, and did other people see the problem that it was? I mean, not really, because I surrounded myself with that group of kids. I mean, I never realized like how much we were all partying because I never exited that group. Everybody mm-hmm. I knew drank daily and smoked weed, took bong rips when they woke up. Every, everybody. And were your parents around? Yeah, but I mean, I they for me they just kind of would check me out when I got home from school or football practice or whatever, and it was like, did I have any broken bones? No. Did I get a girl pregnant? No. Okay, go to your room and we'll we'll see you when we see you. I mean, that was really it. It was like they made sure I had all the necessities in life to to make something of myself, but they didn't check in with me. You know, it's like as long and my sister was a totally different story. I think because she was a girl. They did take a more uh, hands-on, uh, invested approach, but for me, they just—I think they—they they signed up with all the, the the way that all the rest of society felt. Like, let's be real here: you're not going to be a brain surgeon, you're not going to go to college, and you're not going to do anything above and beyond what the other kids were. And because I, you weren't a good student, they thought this. I was a terrible student. Not only not a good student, I was like an F and D student. And uh, were and you I, like class clown, that yeah, kind of thing? Yeah. Okay. No, so I mean, you're, I you're really popular. Was. No, I, I wasn't like not popular, but I wasn't like co- one of the cool kids mm-hmm. by any means. I was very invisible. I was like middle, but I was the best without question. I, I challenge anyone in the six two six from that grew up in the nineties to to uh, to to you know put me to the test but back then i was the best at being a class clown mm-hmm. i put i invested my time and focus in it i i totally i fucked with every teacher <laughs> i i loved pranking people i loved kind of making myself a spectacle um and that was it that was it that was what really got me going and then when i found drugs and alcohol it was over i mean that's all i, I told my wife the other day and i meant it and i i, I hope she can understand <laughs> what what i meant by it because it was not a knock on her it's just that when my daughter was born, um, you know, very recently, six weeks ago, I said, I, I think I finally found something 
that I love as much as drinking and using drugs. Because I just nothing ever really compared. I mean, I love my wife, but it was nothing was the same. Like I used to get goosebumps knowing I could go score blow. I mean, I used to love it, and nothing ever really made me happy that way. It was like you get that temporary escape from all of it, and it was so awesome. You know, it was so awesome. I'd look forward to the weekend to be like, oh, I can't wait to watch college football and just get shit faced. That was it. So then. What made you try to get clean the first time? You said that before you moved to the East Coast, you had already tried. Yeah, uh, I got in a bad car accident here in L.A. Um, and my parents kind of that that was a wake up call to them to kind of step into my world. And I was like, oh yeah, I mean, I drink a lot, blah blah blah. And uh, so they were like, hey, how about you go into rehab? And and I did, and I I went to like one of the better ones in the country, and I I gave it a a fair shot. Um, and and I think my left brain was in it intellectually but now looking back on it i was so not really doing it mm-hmm. I, I wasn't i was kind of half-assing it um like faking it not faking it just i didn't really uh subscribe to the idea that like i'm gonna not drink ever again like I'm you not weren't gonna... convinced that you had to right exactly and i was i was 19 going yeah. on 20 i mean I, I didn't know shit anyway let alone Having to do such a thorough self-investigation, I was incapable of doing that. Mm-hmm. But um, – and that's not to say that 19, 20-year-olds can't do that, but I certainly couldn't. And I, I was just not prepared. And I read I read the, the books they told me to read. I went to the meetings they told me to go to. And I and I did the steps and all of that. Like I said, I, I kind of went through the motions. And at the time, I thought I was really going for it, but I wasn't. I was, I was, uh, I was faking it. How long were you clean after that? Uh, just under a year, like, like 10 months. And then I started drinking and then moved to I, – I, it's like I ain't got shit going on out here. So in 99, 2000, I moved out to the East Coast and uh, that's when things spiraled out of control. I to met, New York? Yeah. yeah. And then I lived in I lived in Newark for a while. Then I, I ran out of money. I met a girl, moved down to Philly with her. Then I started crashing on people's couches. Then I went to like – moved to New Brunswick. Then I moved back to the city. And I was I, – I started smoking – uh, speedballs like mixing heroin and, and cocaine and that and then just it was unbelievable how precipitously my life fell apart i mean i was mm. uh, it was insane was it like every day that you were doing yeah that? oh yeah yeah and um i the uh, i i met this guy named adam he was the gayest guy ever um and he was an older guy he was in his 50s i was again i was like 20 21 and uh, he i befriended him and he was wealthy and he always had blow and he always had heroin and like he just wanted to party and and I told Drew this and I was very I, I meant it it sounded kind of like locker room talk but I was I said I never did anything with the guy but I know for a fact if he's like on at four in the morning when I was jonesing if he's like oh I got I got a, a dime rock right here it's all yours if you suck my dick I totally would have without mm-hmm. question hands down. but I never did I never and he never even went that route he just wanted someone to party with. And uh, yeah, my life spiraled out of control. And I was in uh, a apartment complex in Inglewood. I come back for, um, I come back for, I believe it was Thanksgiving. Yeah, it was. Um, to visit my family here in LA, and I was in an apartment complex in Inglewood, smoking rock and drinking beers. And it was like midday because I was watching like bad uh, talk television. And there's no like big Hollywood story. I didn't get like rushed to the ER at that time or, or anything. I just was sitting there and all for all of a sudden, I don't know why I picked up the phone and called Los Encinas in Pasadena 
and asked if they had any beds available. And they said yes. And I said, okay, I'm going to check myself in tonight. I called my parents. And I said, this is where I'm at. Come pick me up. And then I checked in and I never have used drugs or alcohol again. Wow. That was, yeah, it was 2000, beginning of 2002. Was that the first me, time you had that thought or had you, like, do you, had yes. you been? That was really? the first time I had that serious, I had always identified, like, I've got a serious problem. I'm going to die from this. And I was like, well, I, I didn't really care. I mean, to be honest, I, I just, it's not like the life I was living offered me so much more to, to make <laughs> me want. Yeah. For, yeah. I mean, I had no relationships. I had no real close connections with my parents. And I, I certainly didn't have any, like, prospect of doing anything good with my life, nor did I ever assume I would. So I, I was like, well, I'm just party till I die. And I was a very, um, I was a very reclusive user. I was not life of the party guy. I didn't mm. get drunk. And then I became this, this superhero. I just wanted to sit and watch cable TV and, and get fucked up. Um, and so that was the first time I had that feeling of like, well, there is a better life out there if I try. And I, for no reason at all, I wish I had some internal motive that I could talk about or get, and it was just like, it was like a, a, a weird moment of clarity. And I, I just walked to a phone and, and call. And that was the last time I, that was uh, 2002. Yeah. It's amazing. So how long less than, with the place you called as a rehab? Mm -hmm. Yeah. How long were you there? Uh, 28 days. So it's like a standard, you know, rehab thing. And, uh. And your Dr. Drew was still working there at the time. It was it's like it's so weird, this strange. Did you see him there? Yeah. Oh, he was the he was the head of addiction medicine. At oh, so Los you Antinas. knew him? Uh, yeah. Of? I mean, I he he definitely came in and and treated me and and talked to me. And is and... that the place that you had been before? No, Different no. Place. I went to uh, the Hazelden uh, oh. Institute in Minnesota, which oh, is wow, like I that's said, like the celebrity it's, place. Right? It's really recognized as one of like the yeah. the, the premier um, rehabilitation centers, and I'm I'm very happy I went there because. I took away from it a lot of amazing experiences and knowledge, even though it didn't end up panning mm. out. But uh, yeah, I got I got clean like a mile from the house I grew up in. <laughs> and you've never used since then? No. And do you um, – I hope this is okay to ask. Do you go to meetings now and yeah. stuff? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm going to ask a question that sounds like a stupid question. But you talked about like you just wanted to just – you weren't social drug user. You mm -hmm. just wanted to watch TV. Yeah. Why couldn't you have done that sober? Oh, it would just do it wasn't even an option. I mean, when I woke up in the morning, if I was sober, like that was that was torture to me. That was, it honestly was like back then I couldn't imagine anything worse than doing anything sober, let alone just watching TV or going to a Dodge game or anything that I might on the surface enjoy. The idea of just being me like just was just ridiculous. It, it's it, I'd rather be. I'd rather be dead. You know, I really would. If you gave me the comparison, um, you could be alive and sober or dead. I'd just be like, well, fuck it. Let's just end it here because it was just torturous. And I didn't have any, like, uh, histrionic moments that made me feel that way. I wasn't – my parents didn't rape me or I didn't get, you know, beaten. But I come from a long, long line of, of heavy drink. I'm Irish-Mexican right down the middle. And I come from a long line of really heavy drinking, really hard-parting people. Um, and I got the genetic bug and I, and I didn't really have a lot of, of other things, um, up to that point that, that filled me up and made me feel, uh, like I had a lot of self-worth. And so when I discovered getting inebriated, it was like all those problems just went away, whether it be for 15 minutes or 15 hours, depending on the binges and the, the amounts and the, the type of drugs I was using it, that, that, that feeling of emptiness and, and, and low self-worth, it just went completely away and I could 
kind of sit in my skin and watch South Park or sit in my skin and, and go to a movie, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how do you feel in your skin now? It's still – I mean it's a work in progress, but I've never been better than I am now, um, even before my daughter was born. But but you know, we're talking a decade of therapy and, and pharmaceuticals and, and, and meditation and yoga and, and intense exercise. All those things, like I had – it, it all feeds into each other. Um, and I finally – I got to the point where – because I, I think I was just as depressed in the mid – like 2005, 2006-ish in my first marriage – as I was when I was using, um, I just didn't know it. Uh, I, it was, I was a, a miserable wreck because I would fudge on half of it. You know, it was half measures. I would go to meetings and stay sober, but I wasn't going to therapy and I wasn't, and I was drinking, you know, 3000 milligrams of caffeine a day and not sleeping and not opening up to other people and not sponsoring anybody or getting sponsored by. So I was like, it was, like I said, it was like just kind of going through the motions and uh, it didn't work. And finally, I've gotten to the point where I understand I have to do the work thoroughly in a comprehensive fashion. And uh, and I'm I'm you know I'm getting there, but I still I mean I just came I came from therapy to here, so mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not. A, do you feel like Love Line is part of being of service? Yeah, hell yeah, yeah. There's not. It's just so strange how like even the mistakes and all this shit. The, uh, it's, at first glance, the things that I thought were really shitty. That happened to me, not getting jobs here, getting rejected, ridiculed by this boss or that guy. It ended up to then me being able to host Loveline because it's, there's nothing else in the world that I'm more suited for. I mean, it's the best. I go in and and, and albeit 75% of it is me pretending to be Spencer Pratt and, uh, and <laughs> a cholo and saying stupid stuff. But the 25% of it, when you can really talk to that guy that I, I know it, I can hear it in his voice. He's 19-year-old Mike, and he feels like he has no reason to go on, and he drinks every day. Like, if I can go home with one of those calls every night, it's just like it's the best feeling in the world. It, and it's the one thing that I, I did. I found that can replace that, that buzz you get of, of, uh, of doing drugs and alcohol. And Drew has always said it, you know, as one of the kind of foremost authorities on the topic, above and beyond just doing the, the, the requisite kind of – uh, going to meetings and, and, and staying sober, being of service in any way possible is the most fulfilling thing you can do. And, and it's true. It sounds so cliche and corny, but it's true. Um, it, there's no real point into just kind of doing things day in and day out that, that are, are pleasing and satisfying to you only. You know, it, it's kind of understanding your, your, the way you fit into that general social circle and being able to give back to it so that it all works better. Do you think that's maybe why having a child now is making you feel feelings that you hadn't felt. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just so, I wish I could describe it better because it, it, it just sounds like a, it sounds like a, a greeting card to say, <laughs> I just want my child to be happy, but that's all I want. I don't need her to be a, a Senator or a brain surgeon or an actress or anything. I don't care. I just want her to be happy. I don't want her to have to go through even a short phase of that, Going home and sitting, uh, you know, like reading comic books and Mad Magazine when I was 16 and just being so miserable and just feeling like I have no friends and wanting the cool kids to accept me. And it was I was just so empty and, and angry. I just don't want her to have any of that. But there's really no way to kind of like formulate a recipe yeah. to getting her there, you know, and, and she's six weeks now. So all she does is shit. <laughs> How's she doing so far? All she does is shit. It's like it's kind of not fun yet. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Does the responsibility overwhelm you? 
No, not yet. Um, and I think that's because my wife's so devoted to uh, being a mom. But we're very gifted in that my wife's an actress and a, and a successful one. And so she doesn't – even if she wanted to, she can't go back to work until August. She has a new show premiering this week, in fact. And undateable. So, undateable. So in, until she finds out if the show got picked up or canceled, she can't do any other work for anybody else except for NBC and Undateable. Um, so she – I mean she can't well, – That's kind really, of perfect then. Right. So she just has the ability and, and luckily because she's been successful in the past – Financially, we're okay, and 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 time wise, she's she takes care of our child, so I don't feel like the responsibilities have have kind of hit me in a tidal scope yet. What has hit me is that I don't feel like I'm doing enough. My wife breastfeeds ten times a day, and she sleeps with the baby, and she does this and that. I'm like, man, I <laughs> I want to do more. I want to help out, but I, I biologically, like, there's not much else I can do. You know, I change the diapers, and I I get her to sleep when I can, and. You you just you want to do more though because and but my titties they don't they don't they really don't make milk make yeah. milk I've heard that from guests who've come on this show uh, in fact Jesse Thorne who was just on the show the first time he came on he was saying that um, just as a new father you realize that you're you just feel sort of extraneous yeah. like you're not that necessary to what's happening at the very very beginning yeah imagine what it's like when you're not even the breadwinner either you know that's what I feel very um, neutered. Mm-hmm. in my ability to kind of be the man of the house. so uh, But you, you try to make up for it in other ways. And I think that that's helped me uh, kind of get in touch with being more emotionally available because, like, really, that's all I can do now. So you better fucking get used to listening to your wife and being very understanding to all her needs and, and, and even um, even being proactive about talking to her and getting to the bottom of what may be troubling her. Because, well, I'm not... I obviously I'm employed and I have I have a good career, but she makes the majority of the money. She is the mother. She is the breastfeeder. She is all this stuff. So it's like fuck. What what can I do that doesn't make me feel completely emasculated? And that's be like just Superman when it comes to being the emotional, emotional <laughs> yeah, emotionally uh, available and and responding emotionally. You know? Has she has it always been the case that she's been more the breadwinner? Since we've started dating, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. How is that for you? At first, it was very awkward. Um, and I'd love to say, like, oh, I'm above it. Um, but I'm not. You know, the male ego gets it, – it got put in check um, because she – yeah, I mean, that's something that's so typically masculine. Um, but as I as I moved on in the relationship and – it, and it happened very quickly because my wife is very open to the fact – the idea – she said it's not like you're a slacker. Yes, I make more money than you, but you have a career and you work very hard and you're doing well. And you, th- th- by the way, we're both entertainers, so it can switch very quickly. Um, uh, so she never put like a premium on the idea of me making more money than her. She definitely puts a premium on the idea of me making the most of myself. You know, whether that be making X income or Y, it it really didn't matter. It's just the fact that she saw that I was very committed to my career. So, so how did you get into entertainment? Um, like I said, I, I, I thought I was going to be like some big rock star and really I just wanted like a job where I could do heroin and, and do blow all day. Um, and then when I got clean, I moved back to LA when I was, like I said, I was in, uh, Los Encinas here in Pasadena and I got a job at K-Rock when I got right after I got out of, uh, rehab as like a straight gig. It would, K-Rock's the, the lo- local rock radio station. It's a legendary radio station. Adam worked there. That's mm-hmm. where he came from and Kimmel and. Dr. Drew and myself, and um, 
I got a job there. It's like like the lowest of the low entry level job. Um, just as like a street gig, I was gonna go and audition for other bands or try to get, and then I needed something to like pay for my shitty apartment in in Burbank. What was the job? Like, what were you doing? I was a uh, an assistant. I, yeah, or? I was like, no, I I I I did a lot of like, I did a lot of like uh, custodial stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I I got boxes of shirts and stickers from storage and shipped them back. I drove the jocks around. <laughs> I swept the floors. I did I did that. I was essentially just grunt like work. a hired hand. Yeah, it was a grunt work. And um, while I was there, I started uh, bugging Kevin and Bean like that I could do character voices and I could write parody songs. And I knew all the digital uh, editing software like the back of my hand, which was – How did you know that? I didn't. I was a total lie. It was a total (laughs) lie. But I did know how to write parody songs and I did know how to do phony phone calls. That was – I was – like I said, in high school, I was really good at that. I was known for it. I could do phony phone calls. I could do pranks. I could do comedy shit. And so I started doing it without them responding. At first, Lightning, uh, Jay Tillis, who was the executive producer at the time, he didn't want anything to do with it. I mean, you know, he's like, we're not hiring. It's not what do you what do you want me to do? So I would go to do like red carpets with a K-Rock mic flag that I would take from the station. You went rogue? Yeah, without them like <laughs> even asking me. And then I'd get good audio, and then I made some parody songs that actually got me in the door. And Kevin of Kevin and Bean noticed it at first, and he's like, "They was pretty funny." Um, so they they started using me like freelance. They didn't hire me, and then after a couple months of doing that, then they they did eventually hire me at the Kevin and Bean show, and then it's just kind of made a career for myself since. It's been really I, I've had an unbelievable amount of luck, you know. And how did how did Loveline happen? Uh, when when Adam left, uh, Stryker started hosting Loveline, and he had some uh, contract disputes, and so they just went withdrew after you know after Stryker left, and so they were kind of like having a round robin of people that could be potential co-hosts, and I uh, talked to the program director at K Rock and the guy who owned Loveline at the time who oh, he he didn't own Loveline he worked for the company uh, that did at the time Westwood One. And they said, well, yeah, you seem like, you know, uh, you seem like a uh, certainly someone who would be competent enough to try a couple nights. And so I did. And they kept me in the mix. And they, I mean, uh, was it something that you're like, oh, I want that? Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell, I mean, I would tell people I was like, look, considering I have now, you know, six, seven years of on air experience, I've spent my entire adult life being on the radio in L.A., um, and I've gone through this insane boot camp of Kevin and Bean where the standards were so high um, and I got a chance to work with such talented people. Um, I, I, I have the chops, I think, and I also have the experience. Like I've been sober and I've been doing it and I'm terrible in relationships and the whole thing. <laughs> uh, and so, they, yeah, they gave me a shot. And after a while, they, they liked it, I think. And I worked really cheap because I just wanted to do it. And But they wouldn't let me leave Kevin and Bean. They're like, you can do it, but – are you going to be prepared to wake up again three, four hours later and God. go into the morning? And I was like, go to anything, anything to do it. And I did. And it was a, two years like that. And then finally, then Dancing with the Stars happened. And then they're like, okay, you can leave Kevin and Bean. You're like, it's what a, were those two years like aside from the end of your marriage? Um, amazing and horrible at the same time. Yeah. Amazing in that I got, I got to be on the two – without, in my opinion, the two greatest radio, sta- radio shows in Los Angeles at the same time. You know, I was – 
Um, outside of Kevin and Bean and Loveline, there was Stern, and that was it for me in my life. I listened to Loveline, and, and especially when, when Adam was there, falling asleep. 75% mm-hmm. of the nights I was alive, and I woke up to Kevin and Bean flicking back and forth between Stern and Kevin and Bean. So it was like it was a dream come true. But I was a zombie, and it, and I, I could barely pull it off physically. I, I, uh, I aged myself, and <laughs> I lost a ton of weight. Um, I, and I obviously was not emotionally available. You know, my, I drove my wife crazy. Um, what, what was that like? So it's, it's occurring to me that both you and I listened to Love Line when mm-hmm. we were young, and now I sit next to Adam and you sit next to Drew. Right. They used to be partners, obviously. What was that like acclimating to kind of being Drew's partner? Um, that, that was very easy once I stopped trying to outdo Adam. Hmm. Once, because I realized, look, it, it's like you can't play shooting guard for the Bulls and try to be Michael Jordan number two. And I, and I don't mean to kiss ass in the Corolla studios, but Adam's the best. He'll, he'll always be the best. Him and Drew are amazing together. They, it's something unnatural how awesome they are together. And Adam's too quick-witted and too, but I have my own positives i have my own things to offer and i was like just start being you don't you don't always have to be super funny guy be super authentic guy and once i took that kind of burden off my shoulders to not try to be as good or even close to as good as as adam was or even the same right or even similar like try to be so he was so sharp and he was his wit is so acute and i'm not like that I'm, i'm i'm much more um kind of folksy than adam is i really am he he's 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 so high strung and his brain works so quickly and he's so um, – like I said, he's so acute with his thoughts and his mm-hmm. ideas. I, I'm much more um, your Hesher friend that sits <laughs> in the back and be like, what? Is, um, so I was like, just, just be that and be happy with it and be happy. And um, once I let that burden go and then Drew picked up on that and we could talk um, about sobriety especially. The way Drew and I can talk about uh, recovery um, is uh, is great, I think, and and um, that then I I was able to really just enjoy doing the job and and uh, that 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 aura of like oh my god I'm the co-host of Loveline um, that that went away, but it was it was heavy at first. It was I mean was it like that for you to sit next to Adam at, for the first? Yeah, um, the funny thing is that I came in with a lot of confidence, mm-hmm. and I just I don't know like I've always I'm I'm good at holding my own around funny guys and speaking extemporaneously. And in, in a lot of ways, it was sort of the perfect job for me, or at least something very much in my wheelhouse, which is a phrase that I don't like to use. Yeah. Um, but you, you but are very good at it. And, thing, you, oh, and I, you have every right to be confident. But there, uh, well, really, was, really exceptional people have a weird way of destroying your confidence when you do, no, no matter what Well, that's what is. I was going to say. I came in yeah. with a lot of confidence. Oh, okay. I came in like that. And then... I started becoming aware of all all the subterranean stuff and a lot of it's not even subterranean it's explicitly said about what Adam likes and what he doesn't like and that you know Adam will talk at length about all the things that annoy him yeah. and then if you're the kind of per- if you're sort of a people pleasing by nature somewhat codependent person which I think a lot of the people that are around him are sure. you're just instantly like not going to do that 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 not realizing that he's entered i mean yes these things actually bother him but he's also hosting a show and he's being entertaining and he's making right. jokes and he's not actually going to hold it against you if you ever do one of the things he mentions wrong although 
he might bring it up on air. But I guess what I'm saying is you can drive yourself nuts. And I think I'd be, there was a, a period of time where I was driving myself nuts just trying to fit into this box that – or just trying to trying to do everything right and trying to – there definitely – it definitely There's the was, please Adam checklist yes. and you were trying to get every one of the, the checks yeah. and, and that's not – but I mean, yeah. it'll it'll still, and I've loosened up so much, and now it's really it's it's really, you know, easy for lack of a bit better word for the most part. But there are times that I'll drive home and I'll be like, oh shit, he said this, and then I said this, and that was kind of negating what he said. And, oh fuck, yeah. you know. Yeah. And then I'll wonder like, is that going to be a thing? And and at this point, it's usually not. Right. I don't even know if he notices. There was a time where. I mean, there was just a break-in period, but I think that that was going to happen no matter what. Any, I think any time you engage in uh, a, a, an endeavor that's entertaining, any time you're performing, that happens, right? Yeah. There, there's that phase where you're just like, how do I make myself feel comfortable here mm-hmm. and, and do my best? You know, Because there's a difference between a job where you can really just apply work ethic and everything will work out and then a job where work ethic sometimes doesn't mean shit if you can't perform you know right there's some people that you have to you can you obviously want to work hard but then you also have to make it happen you know like ratings and and quality they call the shots not how hard you work because you could work really hard and be shitty right in this job you know and that's that's tough that's a tough thing to wrap your head around um is that weird for you being around adam now Mm -hmm. no no um, at first, the first time he came into, uh, because I, I knew Adam and not like we were going out to dinner or anything, but I knew him from just working at K-Rock. You know, he was, they used to do Loveline in the building that K-Rock's in, um, back when Adam was still hosting the show. And I was always in there, you know, cutting up tape for Kevin and Bean and stuff. So I'd see him around and, uh, he was always, you know, super cool with me. In fact, I had a, a, a crazy Corolla experience back in the, when he was hosting Loveline where I shit my pants <laughs> trying to out fart him. Uh, I don't even know if he knows this. I don't know this story, and I need to know this story. All right. Um, well, just to get back to the main point is <laughs> okay. that now, um, the, the first time he came in on Loveline, I was kind of like, man, this is like yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to try to, you know, be bigger than my britches because the, the Ace Man's returning. Um, but he like opened up to me. He's like, man, I really think you're doing a great job. Uh, I'm, I'm just so happy to see that you're hosting the show, and you and Drew seem to be doing great. And, uh, and that that like was unbelievable so to me. Generous. I can believe that Adam said that to me. And once I got that affirmation, then it was over. Then, uh, yeah. then I'm bringing up pie versus cake and we're, you know, we're doing strip club DJ <laughs> together. So it was well, like, then a, it's, you're, and you're probably not thinking, Oh, he's back to sit in his old seat. Right. And, and outshine me. Well, that never came to my mind because I knew how much they were paying me and how much in the, <laughs> right. like the ceiling was. And Adam wouldn't wipe his ass with that money. So I was like, he's not coming back. Mm. I don't know what people are crazy, but like the biggest ace fans, they would always, they're like, bring back Adam. It's like, do you people understand what terrestrial radio is like in 2014? Right. It's not even an option. Um, but yeah, it was more, I just didn't want to, it'd be like, um, if Tommy Lasorda comes down into the Dodgers dugout, Don Mattingly doesn't want to do anything to offend him, even though he's the coach, he's in charge now and, and Lasorda really doesn't have any pull. It's like, this is, this is your clubhouse, man. You're the, you're the guy who made this special. So I don't want to fuck it up and I don't want to fuck it up in front of you for sure. Um, and, and Adam is, he's the guy who made Loveline special without question. Um, but then that all went away. So once he kind of opened up to me, so now, 
Uh, the girls of Lost were the guests on Loveline. So the, this gives you kind of a timeline to when that was. I would say 2006 to when Lost was really starting to explode. It was Maggie Grace, Evangeline Lilly, and another girl. I don't remember who, but two uh, like exceptionally beautiful girls, all three of them. Um, Adam was in one studio doing the show. And then would walk during the commercial breaks, walk into my studio and rip big farts because he didn't want to rip these farts in front of the girls. It's gentlemanly. Right, right. And, uh, and, and I would laugh because I, I, I'm an idiot. Uh, so I see after like two or three commercial breaks, I see him get up and I have a fart in my building. And I said, oh, I can't wait for him to come back in here. I'm going to, to rock him. And he walks in and I bear down and just splatter diarrhea throughout oh, my entire my but I play it off like like I didn't because I'm, I'm scared. I mean, I'm like a 25-year-old guy, and here's Adam Carolla, and I've just shit my pants. <laughs> they were blue Adidas, like, track pants. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, like, no one probably knew. It wasn't like they were white khakis or something. Right. And uh, I'm like, any Adam's but like, But that sounds porous, right? Yeah, Adam's like, yeah, it sounds wet. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, it did sound wet, you know? Uh, so he leaves, and I walk, and I'm like, okay, fuck, what do I do? Not only do I have shit in my pants, I'm nine feet away from the three of the hottest chicks in Hollywood. <laughs> what? So I went to the bathroom, like the jock bathroom at K-Rock. It's like a single person bathroom as opposed to the ones that everybody can use. Mm. And uh, and they have it there. So like if you're on the air, you could run to it real quick and get back in a commercial break. So you're not really supposed to use it unless you're on the air. But I was like, fuck that. I'm not going to go to one that potentially yeah. any of these girls or Dr. Drew or Adam could walk into. So I go into this private bathroom and I um I, I use like baby baby wipes and um uh, like paper towel like really hard paper towels to wipe myself down completely, and then wet these paper towels and wipe my the rest of it. And I threw my underwear away mm-hmm. in that trash can. And then I'm like I'm going home. I still got <laughs> at least an hour's worth of work to do for tomorrow's Kevin and Bean show, which again is in like three hours because it's now one twelve one in the morning for Loveland. So I was like fuck it. I'm going home. So I went home, showered, did the whole thing. Where were on, your pants at this point? I put them back on. I tried. Were my they best not to, that bad? Because did your underwear on the, on the inside? They catch? were bad. Okay, uh, but you know the underwear caught a lot of it. And so, but there were <laughs> boxers, so it's like there was still like oh, yeah. plenty of run out. Right, right. Ew. So I threw those away, went home, and then came back like an hour early to do that work. But also went to that trash can and. <laughs> And took that trash and threw it out. So je- even in the, the long shot, someone couldn't notice those. And I took it out to like the trash dumpster, and that was. Well, that's uh, good because as soon as you said you threw your underwear away, I was thinking, uh oh, they're going to come back. I know, but I couldn't like walk out of the building with them. Yeah, and I no, it's good. Them. You you just you got them away. Yeah. You destroyed them. So there was. So that. Adam doesn't know that story. I don't think so. Do you know this story, Gary? I don't think so. No. There you go. It's a good it's one. A good one. Thanks. I've shared my pants an alarming amount as an adult. When else? Oh, I shit my... Oh, God. Oh, that's right. You... I don't know. I have a legendary shitting my pants story. You should probably tell it. I mean, if I... Well, I bet a lot of my listeners... I'm sure a lot of my listeners know listen it. don't love line, yeah. But I'm sure a lot of my listeners don't know it. Yeah. So. Well, I actually got tweets saying, if you're going to be on Allison's podcast, you better tell the Paris Pooh story. Well, go, go for it then. So this was at like the height of the partying, and I was like, I'm going to Europe. I'm going to be like Kerouac. I'm just going to like live <laughs> off the land and meet new people. So I go and I fly and I meet my female cousin who's like older than me and worldly in this bon vivant. I meet her in London and I get off the plane and I say, uh, 
I don't know nothing about nothing, but I know that Piccadilly Circus is where like the punk scene started. So take me there because they probably got drugs. I was right. Was that the the music scene you were in, punk? Yeah, yeah. So uh, that and like mid '90s hip hop. Like there was a weird thing that I was lucky and happy to be a part of. But in the mid '90s, like the skateboard culture and graffiti art and hip hop and punk rock, it all kind of came into one. And mm-hmm. uh, you know this kind of like baggy pant Hesher, you know floss or you know fresh or hesh as they used to say like you know you you're in like, a weird way you're a hesher but at the same time you, you like gold ropes and, and, and like faith like, no more yeah yeah exactly okay. like yeah where you'd less, love to listen to faith more and also a tribe called quest you know like right. it was all like this one cool culture um and so anyway i was really into that and i and i knew from like like documentaries that i saw that like in the 70s and like the sex pistols and all that they were in piccadilly circus so I went there and I scored a bunch of ecstasy. I started getting shit faced with the locals, shit faced drunk. And I, this guy's like, oh, my, "You don't buy some ecstasy? You might save a lot of money. You get two hundred pills. You gonna use sell some of you?" I was like, "Great idea! I'll get two hundred pills and I could sell some too." So I spent practically all the money I had on ecstasy. Ended up just eating like ten right out the way. Then. I started partying again with all these locals that I'm now giving ecstasy to. And they're like, hey, you like blow, right? That's your thing? I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> the coke scene in London's bunk. We got to go to Paris. I said, fine. Let's hit the channel. <laughs> Get on a train. I've been in London. Like I landed. I have no place to stay. I've been there for like 10 hours. So now I'm on a train to, to, to Paris. Get to Paris. We find these guys. Got a ton of coke. And like, like the coke scene did seem to be popping. I taught these Parisians how to cook crack. I, what a like an amazing yeah. UN type of <laughs> ambassador of ambassador uh, <laughs> that I am. I taught these Frenchmen how to cook crack, and we smoke crack, and we do, and then we go to this club. And but you made you made it out of the coke. You taught them, or you taught yeah, them? Yeah, yeah. I was like, you guys got baking soda. And they're like, no, we can go to this store. We find the baking soda, and we go. We got a little baking soda, and I cooked it up right there. And we made a little tin foil pipe. It was amazing. It seems like turning something good into something shitty. I mean, both it's, shitty, oh, it is. judgmentally wise, but I'm just saying. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of people have rushed to judgment about crack because it was it's known as like a ghetto drug, right? But all it is is a way to make your coke last longer. It's okay. it's it's more right. bang. For I your, should check my privilege. It, it's just it's more bang for your buck, and it makes it more potent right off the gate. And you could and you could make an eight ball last a little longer. That's all the really. It's baking soda and coke, and you crystallize it by cooking it. You know, with the a little water. Um. Anyway, so I cook crack. Then, then I start getting really because I haven't slept, and the time zone change, and I'm smoking water, and I've already eaten like five pills XC, and now I'm smoking crack, and I'm drinking like crazy. So then I stop remembering stuff mm-hmm. when I get to Paris. I wake up. Lord knows when. After that, um, I wake up in a not in a hotel room, in a hotel hallway, <laughs> completely naked except for a pair of boxers. Which I have filled with shit. Oh, no. (laughs) Okay, so now let me recount. I don't speak the language. I have no idea where I am. I have no passport or money or wallet or anything. And I have shitty pants. (laughs) (laughs) So what did you do? So I'm trying to, like, piece together. And were you you on your back or your stomach? I I woke up on my stomach. So I woke up and, like, drool on the ground the whole thing. So I try to piece the night before together. I'm just in that hallway. And I'm like, did I did I put my clothes somewhere? Did I check in somewhere? <laughs> and so I'm like, I got to make it out of this hotel because I don't think I stay here. Mm-hmm. 
So I go to the lobby, and I'm like, maybe I'll find someone in the lobby that I could talk to. But remember, <laughs> You're naked. I'm, in, I'm in boxers with shit in them. <laughs> so I go to huh? I'm like, Bang! I'm like, please, please don't let there be people in this elevator. Sure enough, it's like covered with tours. I was like, I'll wait for the next one. And then, like just one couple, I was like, okay, I'll get in on this one I, uh, with my back to the wall, so they don't see my shitty pants or smell. Yeah, I'm, I, I, it was like kind of dried out at that point. Okay, so I, I'm sure I stunk. <laughs> um, so I get down to the lobby and I'm looking around. I'm like, no, I'm definitely this isn't. And I walk out. I'm like, I just sprint to like outdoors, mm. and the sun rocks me like I got shot by a sniper. I'm like. <laughs> The sun, <laughs> and uh, and then so I go and I sit on a park bench and I'm like, this is wait, okay, something's starting to come back to me, uh, and I tr- I remember putting water fountain water on my face. <laughs> I'm so lucky I didn't go to jail, uh, and so I I start piecing together. I was like, wait a second, that place, and it was a hostel. I go in, I walk in. Right as I walk in, the guy's like, oh, it's all and like, oh, we know you. Oh, good. And I was like, okay, help me out here. So he's like, yeah, you checked in last night, late, like three, four in the morning, five in the morning. And I said, okay, I don't have any keys or anything. He's like, okay, you're on room, blah, blah, blah. He gives me another key. And I walk up to the, like, the second floor. And I get to the room I'm supposedly staying in. And the door's ajar. So it's like there's like a deadbolt and the door's laying on it. But it's open. Mm-hmm. I'm like, uh-oh. There could be anything on the other side of this. <laughs> so I <laughs> I push it like slowly and I opens and there's a bunch of um they were wine glasses but they were plastic. So they were like made to look like real wine glasses but they were they were you know cheap from like a store. And there's like 30 of them, half some f- empty, some full, some half drank, some with lip a bunch of lipstick on them. So like there was chicks in this room, which is half the size of the room we're in right now. It was like a, it was like a little hostel room. Um <laughs> And cigarette butts everywhere, and my clothes, luggage, passport, money, everything perfectly folded on on my bed. Did you do that? I don't know, <laughs> but there was a bunch of tinfoil too. We had been smoking rock, so at some point we're partying. I'm partying with a lot of people, some of them chicks, and I said, "Guys, we gotta go somewhere else." But first, let me take off my pants. <laughs> let me take off all my clothes, and we're gonna go somewhere else, and I'm gonna shit. And that's all I know. Wow. Yeah. How long did you stay in Paris after that? Like two days, and you never, you never found out anymore what happened. No, no, I never saw the people I partied with. Wow, I went to another club that, and then I took a train back to France and got in a fist fight with a French punk, a uh, French funk band named Boogia. <laughs> the whole band? Yeah, it was like a Jason Statham movie. I was running between cars, like throwing shit at him. It was nuts. What happened? I got the shit kicked out of me. All right, yeah. L- I think it's time to do just me or everyone. Sweet. Sometimes I ponder. All right. Christina says, just me or everyone, get irritated when people say I could care less when they really mean to say I couldn't care less. Right. Um, that doesn't really – that one doesn't really bother me. What about you? doesn't bother me that much. I, I understand how she could be bugged by that because it, it is incorrect. Uh, ir, irregardless. Irregardless That one me. bugs me. Irregardless yeah. really bugs me. Me too. Yeah. Gary? I'm with you guys. I see her point for sure, but not a big deal to me, but irregardless bugs the shit out of me. Yeah. You know what one I always notice? Actually, I guess, hold on. It bugs me more when I see it written than when I see it heard it said. 
What about this one? When you see then T H E N written, but the person means than sure. or vice versa. Sure, I can't. That, and- that used to bug me more, but now I realize like people can't even get your your correct. Yeah. Like people now that you, we live in a world where you see people's written word much more than you talk to them. I realize that people's spelling and, and understanding of the language is so fucked. There's, yes. Like I'll, I'll let than and then slide because <laughs> it's because there's bigger fish to yeah. fry. Um, Scott Hatherley says, just me or everyone, I have trouble manipulating the multiple roll toilet paper dispenser in public bathrooms and can never get a long enough piece. I feel like they're designed to prevent the long piece. I think they are. Yeah. Yeah, Well, I think they're also designed – almost all of them have the world's shittiest toilet paper too. Yes, the single ply. You pull like just a little bit and it breaks. So yeah, it's it's a disaster. It's a recipe for disaster. Now, do you guys always reach in to make sure there's toilet paper before you go? I feel like that was a hard one lesson. No, you should. I do. I even make that mistake in my house where I'll be like halfway through the shit and I'll look over and be like, oh, no toilet paper. Yeah. Yeah, I'm terrible. But at your house, at least you can just waddle over to the. Oh, you mean you'll like you have no toilet paper in the house? Oh, no, just no toilet oh, paper on the roll. And right. then I have to yell to my wife. <laughs> do you guys go to the bathroom with the door open? No, fuck no. I do. But she yells at me. But she would – she – it's been very recent that she'll even acknowledge that she's going to the bathroom when I'm home. Like she used to like pretend and – I'll never forget we went on a vacation once to Aspen when we like started – we were like a year into dating. And she had to like make up different excuses to go to the lobby because she didn't even want to shit in the same hotel room. Wow. Yeah. But so now she's uh, – were, were you there for the – you must have been there for the birth. It was a home birth. Oh, wow. Yeah. Crazy. How, what was that stuff. like? It was intense. It was very intense. Um, it was incredibly draining for me, so I can't even imagine what it must have been like for my wife. I mean, it was that probably worse. Yeah, twenty six hours of wow. me like massaging her and being, then she's just moaning in terrible pain. No drugs. You had a, a midwife. Mm-hmm. Midwife and a doula. Yeah. How come she wanted to do it at home? She's very into that kind of natural idea. I mean, she's she's like a full-fledged hippie. Mm-hmm. Um and so she thought that if there's a way that I could pull this off without any drugs, I'm going to do it. And if if so be it, then you could take me to the hospital, but I'm going to at least give this a shot. And how she, how she, was it for her? It was bad. Uh, she the first like 24 hours was okay. Like we were talking, we were the last hour, she went into crazy person land. I mean, it was that much of pain. And like, I, I wasn't looking at the same person. She was talking, speaking in tongues and shit. Does she regret it at all? No, not yet. So she was, if she were to do it again, she would do it the same she way? She said, I can't answer that now because it's so soon. Mm-hmm. And she's just barely getting over the vaginal pain. So think about it. Like, the for, tearing? Yeah. Did they do an episiotomy? No, they didn't, luckily. Um, but she, I mean, still, just the, the pain in that area yeah. is just now getting better. So she's like, let me sit on it and th- pardon the pun, <laughs> and, um, and, I'll, and I'll get back to you on that. But uh, she doesn't regret it, no. So were you down there seeing all the everything? Yeah. How is that? It was, it was pretty intense. I'm glad I did. A lot of guys are like, no, you'll never right. look at your wife's vagina the same. I didn't get that feeling. Um, but it, I, I just – there's so much – I was so shocked about how little I understood about female anatomy. But you learn it – in a crazy fashion when you see like a big ass placenta shoot out and like that much of the baby's head. I mean, like I'm looking at a human being, a living, breathing human being, but half of it's inside my wife. Mm-hmm. It's That's pretty weird. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Laurel Crisafuli says, just me or everyone, tuck my cell phone into my bra to carry it when I have no pockets. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> no, I don't do that. 
I feel like it would fall out. You right, know, I will. I will stick it in my armpit though. Sometimes, if I need Lynette, to. Lynette does that. I'll stick it in like if I'm wearing like board shorts or something that don't have enough pockets. I'll stick it in the waistband of that. Wait, Lynette does the armpit or the bra? The bra. I just carry it. if I'm wearing like yeah gym shorts or board shorts. I don't. I just make sure I keep it in my hand. Yeah, Christine B says, try to match my typing rhythm to the music I am listening to at work. No. No. That's only you. No. I um, hardly ever listen to music while I'm doing anything that requires thought anymore because I just don't have the attention span. If I, if I do, I'm very much with you, Alice. If, if, I, if I listen to music and I'm working, it's something that doesn't have a rhythm or vocals. I'll listen to classical yeah. or like some, like some of my wife's hippie meditation music, you know, like <laughs> chimes and shit. So she's full on hippie. Yeah. She, I mean she's a weird mixture in that she had a you know communist – uh, immigrant, you know, parents from from the former Czechoslovakia that like escaped, you know, communist persecution. Very hard, very um, stern, very you know, meat meat eating. Like her dad, who's who's passed away. I didn't get a chance to meet him. He would eat bacon for dessert. I mean, he was that. <laughs> so she has that in her, and she definitely loves to like. She went hunting growing up and all that. Wow. But at the same time, she's also kind of like this weird SoCal hippie. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, yeah, she's into it. That that whole kind of free love lifestyle. Did she have any trouble getting pregnant? No. Opposite? I have very Mexican sperm. Oh. It's, it's, it's like, <laughs> uh, Abe Lopez says, have to stop eating while waiters refilling my drink. Feels rude to keep scarfing while they pour. Oh, yeah. And you also have to stop talking. I find. I mean, it you don't really, have to, but I just really tend to. depends on the restaurant. Yeah, I hate to be a snob. Sn- no, it's okay. But if it's if it's like a like a, a like a kind of a fast foodie place, but also has tables, and someone comes over and feel, I'll, I'll be like, thanks. <laughs> but if it's if it's a restaurant restaurant, I'm like, yeah, I'll, I will stop. Yeah. yeah. Do you have this thing that I have? Is it just me or everyone that I haven't sent in? Um, at a restaurant, when they say sparkling or still or tap. It always takes me a second to figure out what I want. Yeah. Well, sometimes I want different. Yeah. Me too. Sometimes I'm definitely in the mood. If it's August and noon and I'm just I'm like, just get anything that looks like water, bring it here. But Sweat. sometimes if it's a nice dinner, I'll be like, you know what? Bring me the, the spring water. Right. Yeah. If I'm treating myself, yeah. then I will go for the sparkling. Yeah. Gary, water? Yeah. I tend to just go with tap, but I don't like saying tap. I don't know why. Because it sounds like cheap. it sounds cheap. gross and... I always feel like they're shaming me if that's the word they use. Do you, so I'll just you, use regu- you know, regular flat waters. It's just fine. Do you guys do the same thing I did where I'm a total bitch and like when you first started dating a girl, you're like, whatever, uh, whatever's nicest. And you try to like – and you only go to like now but um, with my – I'm like, I don't give a shit. Piss in my glass. I don't care. Like I used to only make sure we ate at like nice restaurants. Mm-hmm. And would, now it's like, hey, you want me to stop at El Pollo Loco on the way home? And like, <laughs> like, I don't give a shit at all. But you, you – I definitely right. put on the facade. First. I try to make sure that like that we eat at nice restaurants, but once we're there, then all bets are off. I'll yeah. order the fuck what I please yeah. if I'm not hungry or the whatever. I brought you fire. here. Yeah, like, order away. Go sick, but I'm gonna have some bread or something. <laughs> it's not like it's not a cheap thing. It's just like I'm yeah. not always in the mood for a nice restaurant. No, but for I feel sure. Like she deserved, you know. Sometimes, uh, sometimes the best restaurants in Los Angeles will do. Other times, nothing's better than a double double. It's like you just that's the way it is. Absolutely yeah. right. That's human nature. Kaylin, I don't want you to feel like you can't chime in. Or about the water? Or anything. Oh, well, on the water subject, I've always hated sparkling water with a passion. See? Here, you were just sitting there as if you didn't have a lot to say. (laughs) Turns out, very passionate about water. I'm trying to switch over now, though. Why? 
I don't know. Like, you feel like your burps aren't redolent enough. I feel like I just I want to be part of those people in the restaurant that gets the sparkling water. Interesting. I, I want to be part of it. <laughs> this is a man who is not on Twitter, but wants to be in on the sparkling water world. It's true. It's a conscious decision. Do you think that those Twitter? are mutually like that? Those are somehow linked. Well, I'm just saying he's okay with like missing out on a lot of culture, but he's not okay with missing out on what those people in the restaurant are drinking. Well, I will say that as I've been trying to switch over, not no more fan. So I think that it failed by now. Oh, no. The carbonation is more intense on sparkling water than it is on soda. Yeah. Like car- or it anything is. else. Some Pellegrino like rocks your dome. Yeah. Sometimes it's so carbonated. Yeah. Have you guys ever had water from a soda stream? Yes. That is crazy carbonate. And I think the reason is when you when you go to carbonate it, it makes a fun sound that's super loud. Yeah. Like a, a wrong kind of loud sound. And you can, it, you can either – well, the one I have, it's like you can choose one, two, or three. And it's so um, satisfying to get it to make that sound that I tend to just do three, which yeah. is way too much carbonation. Do you th- does the SodaStream do use like the old-fashioned ones? Does it use nitrous oxide? Does it use like whippets? It, Cause that's it, does, what, it uses carbon dioxide. Okay, because the old-fashioned yeah. ones, it was like a tank you put in whippets. No, I don't those, think it's whippets. Isn't carbon, isn't carbon dioxide what's in whippets? I don't know. All I know is what's in whippets used to get me fucked up. <laughs> That's all I know. I have the worst. Preach. Yeah. Jake Dunst, Gunst says, when I watch a movie at home, it seems like the movie won't stop switching between ear-splitting score and inaudible whispering. Yes. Yeah. That I think is more, super annoying. As, as the clarity of both sound and picture has gotten better, I do think that the, the, the disparity – like they need to compress movie right. sound more because – yeah, sometimes it's so loud. You, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna wake up the neighbors, and then I can't hear whatever Don Draper just said. You know? Right, right. But I think there's usually a setting that you can like that puts a, a gate on it. I don't know if that's the right term or not. Mm. Um, but then that makes it on. But then it's like if it's only in the if it's too much, just all in the mids, you can't hear anything either. Yeah, or it sounds crappy. Yeah, that's why I tend to watch with the subtitles on. <laughs> I know it's ridiculous. Like grandpa. I know. I know. And, and, and I don't think Daniel's a huge fan. Uh, <clears throat> for example, recently when we watched Frozen, <laughs> he asked if we could turn them off. And I said, well, okay, but we're not going to know what they're singing about. Yeah. But um, yeah, it just allows me to actually know what I'm watching. Okay. Sadie says, when buying toilet paper, I'm too embarrassed to buy the 24-pack because I worry the cashier will think I'm constantly shitting. I've had toilet paper shame, especially when I lived in New York, where, first of all, they don't have, for some reason, don't have bags big enough to accommodate the economy-sized toilet paper. And also, you don't have a trunk, or I didn't, that I could throw it into. So you're just walking home carrying a gigantic thing of toilet paper. But I still, I still do that. I've thought about this before, but... It's too much of a savings, and it's too, it's, I don't want to be doing it all the time, so I still do it. I was driving down the street yesterday, and I saw a couple walking down a street in North Hollywood, and they each had – it was a guy and a girl, <laughs> and they each had a 24-pack. That's a commitment. I, I looked at them, and I was like, way to, way to fly your flag. I think, I think <laughs> you outgrow that. I think you outgrow I used to be very embarrassed about what I'd purchase anywhere, but you just – I could care less now. I, I'll buy my wife's tampons. I'll buy whatever it takes. They should sell tampons in economy packs. Because that's one of the that's the kind of thing where every month I'm like, why am I do, why am I doing this every month? I really, given that I know that this is going to keep is happening, going to happen. yes. yeah. Why do I act like oh shit? That's actually the one thing in my life. Because toilet paper, I'll buy the economy thing and paper towels and 
soda well, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And yet every every time I'm like, oh shit, I gotta buy tampons. You should really go to AllisonRosen.com and click the Amazon banner, and you can set up a, rec- a recurring thing. Where subs- I could every subscribe month, to them. I mean, it's not going out of style. You're gonna need them for a few years here. Really not a bad so idea. Just, it's, it's ridiculous and you that I have your own podcast. That's what I'm saying. It's yeah. like I have some block against it. I'm going to go do that. And if you guys are going to buy anything, perhaps tampons or... Keep the ship afloat. Or other things. Yeah. Click through the banner at my website, AllisonRosen.com. It doesn't cost you anything extra. Can I ask Mike a quick question? Yeah. Yes, you can. But it does help out the show. Sorry. Um, yeah, it helps out the show. Do you now keep a, a shit contingency in your car? A shit contingency. Like, like spare, I, a like spare pair of underwear? I don't do it because I'm fi- I fear shitting, but like there is a change of clothes in my car at all times. Something really standard that I could wear pretty much anywhere. Well, the good part about being into like uh, like MMA and like re- living a really active lifestyle where you go to the gym a lot is I almost always have a change of clothes anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, I do. And I also keep uh, like the baby wipe since I have a baby that shits nonstop. <laughs> I always am loaded down with baby wipes. So if something were to happen, You're I'm pretty set, yeah. Just Dawn says, the way people drive in parking lots, the traffic flow arrows might as well be Egyptian hieroglyphs. Hashtag wrong way. Um, this is the second time today that someone's complained about someone, about the certain type of person that does this. And I've had to be like, I am that person. Uh-huh. I'm the person. I'm the person who goes the wrong way in a parking lot. And what was the thing earlier with Adam? Oh, I'm the person that doesn't always say hi to people when I walk my dog. I'm just a asshole with no sense of direction no fuck that you don't have to say hi to everybody well i think he specifically was saying he'll say hi to someone and they don't say anything back oh that happens to me a lot actually sometimes well you know what if i'm creeped out by someone then it's only once that i pretend i didn't hear someone because i felt like they were it wasn't just hi they were trying to engage me in conversation about my dog and for some reason i got a really creepy vibe but then i felt like such an asshole for the rest of the day i was like that guy was probably just he was probably a totally nice guy who just wanted to talk about spaniels and i acted like i was hearing <laughs> impaired <laughs> arguably the most dangerous person to do that to though because you're getting the creepy vibe and you're like all right i'm gonna shun this person like i know I, always, I, I know. But I, I constantly am saying hi to people outside of my – or nodding at people and getting ignored. I've, I don't take it personally. I, I, I always care. assume – it almost always happens to me with women. So I just assume that they just They're don't fearful. feel comfortable. Yeah. yeah. Which is cool. I get it. You don't seem like you put off a creepy vibe. I don't well, feel know, like I'm creepy. Yeah. I don't think I do either, but I attribute a lot of it to my size. Yeah, you're tall, Like dude. especially with chicks. Like, yeah. You're tall and rangy, and rangy equals rape. Yeah. In, in yeah, yeah, people's yeah. minds. I mean, that's what's going on in my headstone. Yeah. So you think, like, if you're a tall, what's the opposite of rangy? Like, no one, no, if you if you really analyze uh, rapists and, 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 chi- and, like, women abductors, be it through history or in the movies, they're always kind of, like, tall and, and, and kind of spindly or, or like, yeah. a little nebbish guy. Rarely are they, like, the guy who works on his biceps and has a nice tan. Right. You know, you, you, know, he, yeah, there's not, you assume right. he's rapey. Because he's so invested in, like, but most likely it's the guy that everybody ignored, you know, right. it's a, it's, or, or it's tall gang, spindly guy. Speaking of, I read, is it true that you did steroids? Oh, yeah. Lots. Not anymore. Right. There was a time. Because you're into bodybuilding. When I was, when I did Paris Pooh Story, I was super jacked. Oh. I was, so I not only had shitty pants, but I was like shirtless and way buff and veiny. Which made it way sicker. It's like way more American Psycho. Now, see, now it seems like there are people who are saying that steroids aren't actually bad, 
right? Have you heard this? Well, like they, they, they aren't if you use them responsibly. you got to remember, what does that steroids, mean, all steroids, what people consider steroids, anabolic steroids, mm-hmm. the dangerous ones, the ones guys use in sports and the guys use in bodybuilding, they're all testosterone or derivatives of. And this is something that is very natural to the human body and, and in fact, you know, makes you better as a man. It's very hard. Steroids, I like to say, are like bread. Um, there's nothing wrong with eating bread, but it's almost impossible to eat bread and not overeat it. It's very difficult to use and start using steroids and use them responsibly to use 250 milliliters of sipinate a week, which is what someone would do if they wanted to keep their body healthy and is because you inevitably get to 500 milligrams and because you just like what it does to and you? then yeah and then that that initial burst of energy and 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 vibrance and, oh, so and that, muscular build and libido it starts to taper so, so that's like, what it does it, i'm gonna double it up that's then, interesting i hadn't i mean of course that makes sense i was thinking that it just changes your appearance but of it course does. it would make you feel more it, virile it gives you all those pluses of being an 18 year old boy you know mm. or a 14 year old when you're going through puberty you know you get all those pluses as well as the the enhancement of your physique you get the you know the better libido the better kind of lust for life and all that stuff and uh, you just feel better but but you very quickly start to abuse them and then it makes you feel worse because then you get edgy and and uh, you know get, get test flu what they call test flu you get to start getting your body it has you know your testes produce testosterone on their own mm-hmm. and so when they identify an exogenous or an artificial source of it, it they shut down and that's why you you get this stereotype of the bodybuilder with the small balls it's true your balls atrophy your dick doesn't get affected it doesn't really affect your dick but your balls totally shrink and they get atrophied because they stop working so are your balls okay they are now but they weren't back then how long did it take i have beautiful balls now i have like (laughs) yeah i have the kate upton of balls (laughs) i mean like is that suggesting a certain amount of suppleness or just just shapely shapely beautiful pleasing to look at Everybody likes my ball. <laughs> Mackenzie Conkey says, and this is the last one, when making popcorn at home, I will eat the majority out of the bowl using my tongue only. I love that. That's not me, but I feel like it sh- I feel like why is it not? Because when you eat popcorn with your hands, it does get, you know, messy and greasy. I've never done that. You should try it. Here's here's this- I've never cooked popcorn at home though. You haven't? Do you have a microwave? Pop- I'm not a popcorn fan. Oh. I go through phases. You yeah. know why? Because there's a lot of light popcorn. You're like, oh, it's like a totally low-cal treat. Uh, and then I'm like, oh, it's not that good. Yeah. I, health aside, I just, I've just i never been a fan of the taste of popcorn. I mean, I'd much rather go for like chips and candy and stuff like that. Yeah. Here's why the eating it out of the bowl with your tongue, and she'll have to write it and say if this has ever happened. Here's why that's not a good plan for someone like me. Because this is what, I'm imagining <laughs> holding the bowl, imagining just you know, motorboating it, and then chipping my tooth on the edge of the bowl. This has been happening to me more and more lately, which is my beautiful teeth. (laughs) You have have beautiful teeth. Thanks, had. No, I've accidentally begun, like they all, a lot of the front ones, they all have tiny little, except for one, they all have tiny little chips. And I'm worried about where this is headed because it's, it's because I'm like absentmindedly banging the fork into them. Yeah. I think that I, in fact, this is embarrassing. I try to eat with a spoon now, if I can, because I'm afraid I just I can't be. Ooh, that's good. That's good because I can't be trusted with a metal fork. I would imagine if you're going to pull this bowl move, you would try to use a plastic bowl. You'd have to. 
Yeah. But why am I not? It's also easier to like manipulate so that you can like get in there. I, right. I'm I'm not ashamed to admit I've done that with Kraft macaroni and cheese. Oh sure. I, where I I didn't even get a spoon. It's in the pot that I just made it in. and I put my face in it and taken big bites out of it. Yeah, why am I not using chopsticks or something? Chopsticks wooden is a pretty plastic? good idea because that, that you actually place the food in your mouth with chopsticks as opposed to eat, right. You put your mouth around the sp- spoon or fork. Yeah, I don't know how I'm doing it. Well, I mean, part of it is that I'm not eating like a civilized adult at a table. You, could I'm sitting. Shape, could just be the shape of your teeth, teeth? and jaw. Like maybe they happen to come down in a weird way. No, I think it's that I I'm, brush my teeth in a very weird way because of the shape of my jaw. Like my wife makes fun of me, you know. But I, what's I, your what's your weird way? Like like I do this and I have to like push. It's hard to explain for right. The you're, you're pushing your listener. lower jaw out. I just make like a, a big kind of straight facade with my whole teeth area, and I have to brush them like like a right. cartoon. I brush my teeth like cartoon. <laughs> brush my teeth. Yeah, you know, I think I'm just I'm just absent minded and I'm not paying attention and I'm just banging the just just banging my teeth with the fork, which is mm. ridiculous. Don't do that. Never opened up about that anywhere. No. I feel better, though. I feel like I'm here to help been. you. Thank you. Like a weight's been lifted. Mike Catherwood, it was yeah. so much fun having you on my show. I really appreciate you Thank having you me. Thank you so yeah. much for doing this. Oh, it's my pleasure. Anytime you want me back. All right. Know. Well, then we'll do it. So um, I told Gary that, too. I was like, anybody, anytime anybody really in the ace world is like in a pinch, I'm like, I, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty uh, desperate to talk. So I'll come on anybody's podcast. Great. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, so where uh, can – tell people where to find you. At Mike Catherwood on uh, Instagram and Twitter and then uh, Mike Catherwood on, on Facebook. So uh, yeah, it's pretty easy. Lovelineshow.com, the official website for Loveline. And that's it. You know, Check your local listings if you're in the area. If not, then uh, Loveline is a podcast every single day. The radio show gets podcasts and it's for free. You can listen to it at your leisure with no commercials. It's pretty sweet. All right. And uh, – if you're going to buy something on Amazon, as we were saying, tampons, toilet paper, anything really, click through the banner on my website, alisonrosen.com. It doesn't cost you anything extra. It does help out the show. We have a ringtone available. Hey, 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 go fuck yourself. You need this. That's pretty sweet. We've talked about it on the show. This is this will help you for, if you're trying to meet that special person and if you both listen to this show because it's, it's an icebreaker. Someone calls you. It goes off. Someone says, hey, you listen to Alice Rosen's Your New Best Friend show? And then you live happily ever after. Even if you don't want to, you just do. Uh, you can get that by searching Hey, Go Fuck Yourself on your iPhone in the iTunes store. We have two special bonus episodes available recorded live at the LA Podcast Festival if you're a fan of the show. But you need more of us, which you do. You can get those uh, in the comedy album section of the iTunes store. Doug Benson and Greg Proops were the guests on one. And then Doug Benson and Matt Co- musician Matt Costa and a lot of the Thursday gang were the guests on the second one. Pretty good lineup right there. Yeah, it was. Th- those were fun shows. You can follow me on Twitter at Allison Rosen. You can follow Follow Gary at G. Patrick Smith. Follow the show's Twitter feed at A-R-I-Y-N-B-F. And I think that is it. Thank you again for doing the show. My and pleasure. thank you guys so much for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen Show?
Thanks for listening to the show, everyone. Just as a reminder, this episode is brought to you by NoNo. To get your NoNo and take advantage of the exclusive offer for my listeners, go to nonobestfriend.com or call 800-508-4815. That's nonobestfriend.com or call 800-508-4815.